Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And good morning and welcome to the Gardener's Calendar. And doubly welcome that Harvey isn't over our heads. I know you've heard lots and lots about it, as we should. But do you realize when they're talking about 30-plus inches of rain, I just heard that in some areas the uh, rainfall may exceed 40 inches. Uh, Yearly. Rainfall is 43 inches. So at 30 inches, they're having perhaps nine months of what we would have for precipitation. They're having it in one storm. Absolutely incredible. Uh, So our hopes and the prayers are with them. It's good to hear that the winds have have dropped down. Uh, I'm going to go to the calls in just a minute, but I do want to reiterate that there is a disease out there in your vegetable garden, and it's called blossom and rot. Sorry, and blossom that. and rot occurs when there is not sufficient calcium in the plant. And so when the yeah. tomato on, starts to develop, when the squash begins to develop, particularly the summer squash, and they get a rotten end to it, it is because of the lack of calcium. The orchardists know that uh, that apples, as they're making size, need their calcium, need their ground limestone. If they don't have it, then the center of it will be all punky. The celery growers know that if their plants don't get enough calcium, then the uh, center core called hot rot will occur. So good old-fashioned, standard, stable, needs a better press agent element, calcium is needed. Uh, How do the uh, plants get it? Well, hopefully when you turn over the garden in the fall, you put an application of calcium down. 50 pounds or so per 1,000 square feet. Looks like a light, light snowstorm. Uh, If you uh, are growing your plants during the year and you've got a good uh, crop coming along, then it would be well to apply calcium around the base of the plant. 
Now, the only only caution that I would give is that calcium needs to be picked up by the plant, transported through the plant up to the developing uh, fruit. And so the plants need water during the time of fruit development. Most of the fruit is pretty much water anyway. So uh, if you're seeing any sign of blackening of the uh, plants that is undoubtedly of, of the fruit development, that is undoubtedly the uh, calcium deficiency. There are lots of other diseases, but uh, this is one that is most curable. Uh, People will very often take a five-gallon bucket of water, put a heaping uh, handful of ground limestone into the water, uh, stir it up well, and then pour it around the base of the plant and uh, that will get some calcium within 72 hours. The black portion of the plant, when it's occurring at the far end from the stem, the blossom end, the, uh, the fruit is still all right. It can be the black area can be cut off, and the, the fruit is fine. It's not like many other uh, fungal diseases that would be within the core of the plant. So with that caution, to your phone calls. Paul, we have uh, David from Rochdale. So a question for you. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for calling. Yeah, thank you, Paul. A quick question. About a month ago, I pruned back my Pacifia bush. Right. Make it look like a nice gumdrop. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now I got a lot of shoots coming up. I mean, it's kind of looking ugly again. Can I do it again, or am I sacrificing the blossoms in the spring? You are likely fa- uh, sacrificing the uh, flowers. Uh, okay. Yeah. The, the idea of Forsythia is it really likes to have some two-year-old stems on it. It makes the flower buds, as you know, it makes them this year for next year's flowering. Usually any time after about the middle of July, okay. and we're at the end of August, right. uh, any time after the middle of July, pruning rhododendrons, pruning forsythia, pruning any of the other spring-blooming things is going to negatively impact the flower production of the the following spring. Okay. Okay, so I'll just have to look at these shoots. Yeah, well, <laughs> stop looking at them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Paul. Thank you. I appreciate All right. it. Thank and you good luck. Yeah. Yes. All right, uh, Paul, we've got, uh, let's see, who's on next here? Uh, Rick from Sutton. Well, good morning. Thank you for calling. Right. Yeah. Hold on a sec, Paul. Let's see if we got him. How's that? Rick. Hello? Hi, yeah. Paul. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> good, good. Good. How can hey, we Paul, help? Uh, well, 
uh, concerning Rosa Sharon. Right. About 10 years ago, I had a Rosa Sharon in the landscape that I thought had died. Yeah. And I just tossed it over the fence into a, you know, into a woody area, lots of weeds and so forth. Yeah. And can, can you believe I now have about eight Rosa Sharons growing in that area? Hey, that's not too bad. I don't know what happened. I just tossed it over the fence, and there they are. So my question is, I'm thinking I'd like to bring a couple of them back into, into the landscape. Well, sure. And they're all in bloom, and wondering what would be the best time, and should I cut them back and then bring them in that way? What would you advise? Okay. First thing is that we uh, don't want to move them right now because they're involved in blooming, uh, which is a reproductive function of the plant. And uh, so the plant would not regenerate, not reestablish itself as well as it will after the blooming is done because the plants are going to be uh, traumatically impacted by the digging because their roots on that other side of the area have spread out quite a bit. They've they've uh-huh. had uh, they've had good conditions as far as the Rosa Sharon is concerned. So basically, doing it in early spring okay. is the best time to do it. it okay. uh, and yes, you would want to cut them back. Uh, many people cut the uh, Rosa Sharon back severely every spring anyway to control the height and the spread of it. Okay. Um, And cut back how much, like a third or a half? Oh, I'd cut back half. Normally we wouldn't cut back more than a third, but that, unlike the Fasithia we were talking about a moment ago, the Rose of Sharon doesn't have any flower buds on it until it gets up and growing the next year. So it makes the flower buds like a rose bush the right. same year that it's going to flower. Yeah, so, I've, I've often heard uh, start doing that around April and uh, for that year's bloom. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now, uh, yeah. now, my question is, how did this happen? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, like I say, just toss it over the fence. Am, am I to assume that all of these six or seven are of the same plant or that it just uh, you know, propagated itself? Well, and and it could well have been, depending upon the time of the year, if, had, if it had seed pods on it from flowering, then those seeds have done it, and that would mean the each plant is slightly different than each other plant. The, well, yeah, more, the, colors, the colors are all different, ranging from white to deep purple. Well, then it, uh, it is. It's uh, seed propagated. And wow, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, well, it's amazing, and it really gives you a, uh, a range of color, which is pretty nice. Oh, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Like I said, there are six or seven of them, and... Uh, I do have some in the landscape, so I assume they were they were you know pollinating each other or something. Yeah, but, uh, really nice. All right, Paul. Well, I will wait till the 
springtime and take your advice. Okay, and the one and, other thing that I would suggest, it's a thing that I never think to do until too late, is to mark them, tag them uh, with the colors that they are. Okay. Okay. So that you can, when you're moving, you're moving the ones that you're relating to the most right now. Because, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell in the spring. Sure, sure. Well, have a great weekend, Paul. Hey, you also have a great one. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. And good morning. Good morning, Paul. How are you today? I am just grand. I love this cooler weather. I know it's glorious, isn't it? Yes. Now, I have two quick questions for you today. One is I have some one-inch pine left over from another project, and I wanted to use it to make a raised bed of some kind. I wanted to know, is there something that I can treat it with that won't eat into food? Or how much time would I, you know, years-wise, would I expect that frame to last? Well, seed uh, does vary tremendously, but basically, except for a few seeds like onion and chive seed, this seed will normally last three to five years. If you were to put the seed into a jar, put it in the uh, refrigerator so that it controlled the humidity in the jar and it controlled the temperature, you will extend the seed uh, limit beyond that. There are some uh, weeds, naturally, where the uh, seed is good for 100 years. All right. What I was, what I meant though was, I have some pine wood, one inch pine. I wanted to use it to make a bed for a garden, a raised bed. Yeah. Is there something that I can treat that with that would extend the life? I know pine isn't really great. Oh yeah, no pine is. Even though it has the tar and resins in it, with it. Constantly wet from it being against the uh, soil in the raised bed, it uh, it will rot very rapidly. I'm afraid. Uh, probably. Uh, even if I were to put black plastic or something. Well, all all I do is keep it uh, wet because the plastic. Uh-huh. Yeah, the there is a material called cuprinol. That okay. is uh, very often used for uh, a treatment of wood that is going to be in contact with the soil, and mm-hmm. that that will extend it somewhat. But okay. it it's the uh, the nature of the the uh, plant wood to rot when it's in contact with the soil so that it can release its its goodness back into the soil to feed the next generation of of plants. I see. So I would be better off with something like cedar. Oh you would be light years ahead. 
by using okay. cedar. Cedar is has all manner of natural uh, preservatives in it, and the cedar I would say would probably do at least the twenty years and probably more. Wow! All right. And my other question then is about garlic. I heard you speaking with a gentleman last week about garlic. Are we able to grow the soft neck garlic here in the north? Oh, absolutely. There are people up in Maine that are growing garlic every year. I was talking with someone a year or so ago up north of Worcester that mm-hmm. is uh, has fields of garlic. Oh, oh, how wonderful. So I would just plant it, would I wait until September sometime? You you can plant it. You would be better to look at a one of the catalogs from up in Maine uh, or Vermont. Uh, catalogs like Pine Tree Seed Company or uh-huh. uh, Johnny's selected seeds from Maine. Okay. And uh, they would be uh, giving you a range of garlic. There is some garlic that the plant, the uh, bulbs say small, but they still have many offshoots, and they are very mild in flavor. There are some that are stronger in flavor, and there are some that are really gallicky. Mm-hmm. So, so depending upon what you're looking for, uh, that yes, they would work fine. All right. You know what I do when I buy garlic and it starts to sprout, you know, for cooking? I then pot it up, and I use those green shoots. Sure. That grows. They're delicious. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All right. All okay. right. Well, thank you, Paul. You're more than welcome. Have a great day. Bye you now. And away we go. Yeah, I didn't realize you could you could actually grow, grow garlic around here. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have really. no idea. Uh, it's uh, the there's a soft garlic and a hard stem garlic, yeah. garlic and. Uh, People, the only ones that are selling garlic in this uh, for this area, are ones that are are offering hearty, cold hearty oh, gal- yeah. garlic. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Debbie from Milbury, she has a question for you. And good morning. Good morning, Paul. I have a question about my amaryllis. All right. Okay. Uh, I had some daughter plants from an original. Right. And I had called you in the past and have been asking you about what do I do and all this stuff because originally when I put all these amaryllis bulbs in the the closet for a few months, bring them back out, they would only go into vegetative growth. Right. Okay. Well, I said, well, I'll keep them out for a couple of years until the daughter plants do get bigger because you said wait till they're about three inches um, big. Yeah. And so now they were sitting on a sunny windowsill, and one of them is probably about that size, the three inches. And I was thinking of 
you know, putting it into the darkness. And when I was watering it last week, <clears throat> the roots are coming out of the bottom of the pot. So I said, well, maybe I should repot it. Right. But then there is a small single leaf coming off of the side, so I assume that this original daughter plant now has a daughter plant. That's right. We're, so, we're in the granddaughters now. Okay, so do I still pull it out? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the pot, because the roots are coming out of the bottom. Yeah, yeah. It, it shows that it does need more space. The uh, the amaryllis is growing well, and uh, I would I would focus in on the plant's needs, uh, and so that would mean repotting it. Now you might want to, depending upon whether you're looking for a dynasty of amaryllis, you may when you're doing the repotting. Uh, if the blooming is important and if you have sufficient uh, plants of uh, the amaryllis, then I would break off the, uh, the granddaughter Okay. and throw the digger into the mother plant. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. 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 I think we... I think we need to. Evidently, your uh, amaryllis are really into the the theme of propagating the world with amaryllis. <laughs> I don't need a house full of amaryllis. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I'm not going into that business. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes, but then I do want this one to bloom, and in the past, it was just all veg, veg, you know, vegetative state. Yeah. So I was trying to get it big enough um, to um, put down in the darkness for a few months and then bring it back up because originally it, the mother plant was beautiful. Right. And then uh, after that, then it was just, you know, wasn't blooming anymore. Right. Yeah. And the uh, the blooms are terrific, and the daughter plants are going to reduplicate that same bloom. So it would really be worthwhile to uh, to focus in on blooming. But because you need. For the plant's general health and welfare, you need to repot it into a next size up pot so that we've got the roots contained. That is going to stimulate the plant more into vegetative growth. You need to be aware of that. And so it is going to for it's going to put back it's going to delay the uh, putting the plant in the dark 
until uh, the oh, three months have gone by. Okay, so I wait another three months after yeah. that. So I was, I was, that was my next question. If I uh, wait for like another year until like this time next year, and then put it in the darkness. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But the plant is strong, it's healthy, it's doing exactly what you would want it to do and expect it to do, uh-huh. and so you're doing all the right things for it. Okay, well, I, I know you said keep it tight in the pot, so yeah, but well, when I notice the roots coming out of the bottom, I'm saying, hmm. Yeah, that's too tight. Too tight. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll go a next size up then and uh, repot it, do it, uh, give it fresh soil, and um, take it from there. Yep. All righty then. Thank you so much, Paul. You have a wonderful weekend. Well, I will, and you also. And keep us informed on the saga. <laughs> I, I shall. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Well... Exhale and tell me all about it. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Um, a, couple of, a couple of questions. I have some of that ground ivy that's kind of spreading through part of my back lawn. I've kept it out of my garden area. And usually in the fall, I overseed my lawn. Right. But I'm wondering if I should use something like Weed Be Gone. Would that help to get rid of that? But then if I do that, when do I overseed? Immediately. There is no, there should be no problem with using an herbicide like Weed Be Gone. Okay. And, and following in 24 hours or whatever. With the uh, overseeding of the area, I think your regime is right on target, uh, and that would be just the thing to do. But there oh, is good. there is no uh, there is no problem with it. the The weed be gone is contact. It lands on the leaves of the ground ivy. And it is absorbed in through the leaves. And then it's internal within the plant. The uh, seed has no capability, if you will, of uh, taking in any of that uh, herbicide. And by the time the, uh, the seed germinates, there should be no residue that would be uh, capable of injuring the seed. So now this is in like one part of the backyard. I know I have other weeds in the lawn, but it looks green. And I mean, I'm fine with that, but I'm not really able to discern sometimes which are weeds. Should I do the whole lawn with the weed be gone? Well, and I know certain things die off when it starts to get cold. Exactly. There's a number of things, including plants like crabgrass, that are going to die. Yeah. Uh, and they're, because they're annuals, and so like a marigold, when the weather gets cold, they give up the ghost. So that I would probably limit it only to the areas that are... Uh, that are problematical, the, uh, the places where the ground ivy is growing uh, 
into yes, the law. I like, I like to keep it to a minimum in terms of unit, using any of those products. I so, would. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe I'll do that. And another uh, question. Um, I have uh, my um, petunias. Every, it seems to me every year in August, all the flowers are beautiful, and then they're gone. And then I'm trying to remember, I think last year, I don't know if I put some neem oil on it and I cut them, you know, down a bit, and I think they revived. And I think it's some kind of a disease that's getting them. Um, do Would you know what that might be? Well, first off, uh, are you doing any fertilizing of the petunias during the I summer? Have. I have. Yeah, okay, because they... Very often the petunias will use up the nutrients that are available and they need to be resupplied uh, uh, to keep give the plants the energy to keep uh, blooming. Yeah, they didn't do it enough. Yeah, yeah. I, an addition would help a great deal. Uh-huh. Uh when I was doing watering, I'd always do it in the morning, if possible, mm-hmm. and not uh, late in the afternoon or in the evening, because that does support the growth of a number of diseases. Petunias, oddly enough, are the same family as many of the other plants we have including a number of the weeds. And as such, it's the other plants that can spread disease to the uh, petunias, but the petunias should have the basic wherewithal to fight off the Mm -hmm. disease if they are well-fed. Well, maybe that was part of the problem. I should have fed them more. So I'll, I'll actually I'll try and do that now, see what happens. Yeah. And then next year I'll remember that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thank you as usual for your help. You're more than it. welcome. It's <laughs> lovely talking with you. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Paul, uh, let's, let's see. Lynn from, Le- from Westminster. And good morning. Hi. Um, as usual, I'm really enjoying your show. Thank um, you. I'm, you're welcome. Um, when the person was asking before about garlic, yeah, it reminded me that the um, North Quabbin Garlic and Arts Festival is coming up later this um, in September, and I thought I'd mention that because that's a really good place to go and um, kind of sample different garlic. They sell a lot of um, little garlics specifically for planting. And it's a wonderful opportunity to talk with the people that are growing it themselves. Gardeners uh, around the world are sharing people. They're always ready to uh, to help uh, you when you ask them about how in the world have you been produced uh, have been able to grow these so well, or uh, which is the variety that uh, you find the mildest, et cetera, et cetera. And so 
to go to the garlic festival is really, it's an education. It also, uh, for some of us at least, it smells heavenly. <laughs> well, and it certainly does at, at this one because, uh, well, it's called the Garlic and Arts Festival, so it's a lot more than garlic. Like, they have um, a lot of different vendors and um, a lot of, some of the vendors, it's just like, you're going to the farmer's market, but there are also um, a lot of artists, and you can buy, like, fig trees, you know, like little fig trees to bring home. Ah. They have a music stage. Um, they have a variety of really delicious um, foods that, that you know, you can buy and eat and sit, and they have uh, several different entertainment stages, and, like, I just... I'm a fan of it. Like um, one of the people that comes to the Westminster Farmers Market um, every week um, makes smoothies there, and she's just—it's it, just really delightful. But anyway, it's at the end of September this year. The um, end. Actually, September 23rd and 24th. 23rd and 24th. Wonderful. You have done any number of the listeners a great favor, too. <laughs> well, to... the other thing is, is like, as, as seems to be usual here at my house, I have garlic growing out of my compost heap. Yeah. And um, this is the first year that I remember, actually, um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I pulled one up. Yeah. And... Because I was curious, like, it'll grow there, and I don't really do anything with it because I don't, I've never really harvested garlic. But I did this year. I, like, picked um, one, and it was kind of, um, you know, there coming out of the ground. Like, at, at ground level, there was this bulb of garlic. <laughs> and so I cut the top off and um, put a, made a, a hook with a paper clip and hung it up on a nail so that it can hang out and dry on my screen porch for a while. Right. But I can't wait to try it. Oh, yeah, it should be fine. And it's, you know, so, like, it's not necessarily that hard to grow. No, no, <laughs> not at all. As far as I all. know, it wants fertile soil. <laughs> yeah, 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 and it wants a time to develop, and it likes the sun. And other than that, no, there's nothing mysterious about it at all. Uh, garlic has been a major crop for many civilizations down through the years. And maybe they didn't have as nice a compost heap as you do, <laughs> but they were able to muddle along. So very good. Well, I just wanted to, to let people know about that. Um, but if I can ask one other brief question or comment or whatever. Sure. I also have a like semi-volunteer um, amaryllis. Right. Like, I can't even remember the history of it, but I know that this spring it must have gotten like really leggy and maybe had bugs on it because instead of waiting for it to like um, do its rest phase thing right. inside. I just put it out on my patio in the shade. Yeah. And eventually I think I like cut off the floppy leaves and it's just sitting there. And but so it's gotten rain all summer, but there isn't any growth coming out of it. But the bulb itself is like green. Like the papery stuff seems to have Yeah. Know, and so what I would do is I would give it then the the uh, normal uh, dark period. Okay. Uh, let it let it go dry, 
and uh, give it the dock period and see if it had been able to put in enough energy into the bulb so that it is uh, operational again, uh, flowering and and leafing. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have enough energy to flower, it will probably come back in a good, strong uh, leaf growth. Okay. All righty. Yet another fun experiment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Bye now. And good morning, and thank you for waiting. Uh, good morning, Paul. Good morning. Uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, the first one has to deal with clematis. Yeah. About 30 years ago, I put in seven different uh, colored clematis. Excellent. And over the years... I've lost them. I'm down to two that aren't really producing a lot. Uh, I wonder, do clematis have a lifespan? No, no, they don't. But what they do have is very strong likes and dislikes. Clematis likes to have a mulch around the base of the plant. The old saying was they need to have their feet in the shade, but their head in the sun. That's what it's the sunlight on the leaves where they make the energy. And yet the the ground around the base needs to be mulched. Second thing is that clematis love lime, ground limestone, even more than lilacs do, and lilacs have a love affair with lime. So that the old idea is every time you walk by the clematis plant, you throw down a handful of lime. Well, that would be a little excessive, but the soil wants to be well-limed for clematis. The third thing is there is something called clematis wilt. And clematis wilt starts above ground and it browns out all the leaves and the stems and the plant dies. But below the ground line, if the clematis were planted deeply enough, so that one leaf joint was buried below ground, the clematis has the ability to come back strong and well. So uh, the deep planning to to have a, a node or a leaf joint below ground is important, knowing yeah. that, that the clematis does have uh, leaf wilt but it does love the mulch covering the base of it, not against the stem, but the soil around it like a large donut, and it it loves the lime. Do you think the mulch up against the stem might have been a detriment? Oh, yes, yeah, because it kept the uh, stem wet, and that caused rotting, yeah. Never against oh. the stem, not even for an oak tree that's 
100 years old. Okay. All right. I'd like to replace the, the ones that I've lost. Uh, is there uh, another plant that would be similar to a clematis? Well, the... What I'm looking for is perennials that don't require a lot of attention. Right, exactly. And there is a climbing hydrangea that uh, does quite well. I'd want something like a tree to grow up because it wants to get large. Wisteria is a magnificent plant. It has long panicles of pink or white or blue uh, flowers. Uh, will they climb a trellis? It will climb a trellis. It'll climb the house. If you stand by it and count to three, it's going to uh, climb you. I've got to run. I'm sorry. We're at the end of our time. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.